You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to The Buzz, brought to you by the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knezic, and welcome to episode 45. And uh, if you've been paying attention the last couple episodes, I kind of like to throw a joke in here. You have been. And I took to the internet, because I couldn't think of a good like shrub-related pun to start this episode with, and uh, I was uh, amazed uh, <laughs> at what the internet had, had uh, for me today. So I'm going to throw out a couple. Oh, no. So um, Because, I'm, well, our... Our buzz episode today is based. That's, we're we're continuing <laughs> our theme. We've done uh, Forbes and Graminoids. T- so today, as promised, we're focusing on shrubs. So are yeah. they shrub, shrub? Which is in in my mind, shrubs are like an overlooked. Uh, everyone thinks about trees and they yeah. think about the flowers. Grasses are even overlooked, but the shrubs to the, me are like probably the, the over, most overlooked category. The understory is really important. Yeah, and and we talk about that all the time with yeah. the health of our forest, with the lack of understory. That that's it's really important for songbirds and yeah. things like that. So but, right. yeah, but when I was looking up puns, the internet delivered, and I couldn't choose just one. Oh no! So, all so, right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so so friend. I've been setting some money aside to buy some new shrubs for out front. Yeah. I call it my hedge fund. Oh, that's a good one. That's a, I'm a dad now. I can make these kind of jokes. A plant is fine. A shrub is fine. But trees a crowd. Oh, that one. Oh, pretty. Oh. <laughs> what do you call a shrub that's growing underwater? A what? A shrub marine. <laughs> That might be enough. I'll, you know what? I, I, I wish I had. I I don't have the sound effect. I wish I had like a hi hat sound effect. Like <laughs> yeah, that would have been perfect. Right there. I, I I was looking. I was like, do I have that sound effect? I'm adding it. Uh maybe maybe this is a trend we shouldn't continue. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. I was just shocked that that was. I thought, oh, yeah, good luck finding some kind of play on words with around shrubs, but. There's oh, some yeah. shrub joke enthusiasts out wow. there. Wow, it's uh, it's wow. pretty amazing. We do know some tree jokes, but they're not necessarily appropriate for yeah. the podcast. <laughs> so that's well, we'll a save little, those little for nurseryman another. humor. Yeah, <laughs> we'll we'll save those for another time. So even though this this uh, this episode is airing on a Friday, we're recording it on a Wednesday, and today's St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. So happy St. Patrick's yeah. Day. Shamrocks, uh, not a shrub. Uh, I am I am getting a shamrock shake though today yeah. because, and I found out that. Through my recent ancestry uh, uh, DNA test, that I'm 11% Irish, I had no clue at all. Oh wow, no clue yeah. at all. So I can celebrate. I can legitimately celebrate St. Yeah. Patrick's Day. Yeah, at least 11% of me. I don't know. No, if we're doing like, anything for like our St. Patrick's dinner. I remember growing up, we had uh, what's it, the corned beef and cabbage, yeah. but which then you find out that that's not even an Irish, Irish thing. Things. That was like when the Irish came to New York City and. We're living in the same neighborhoods as the Jewish people. The Jewish people had brisket, and yeah. that's how corned beef came about. Yep. But uh, one of the things I've actually started to do the last couple of years is make corned venison. Oh. And um, I'll go through the whole corning process. Surprisingly easy. It's really just salt okay. and uh, sodium nitrate, which is great for you. That's <laughs> really good to put it into your body. <laughs> it makes that the meat that like lovely shade of pink. Wow. But um, 
and some pickling spices, a little bit of sugar, and you just soak it in for a week. And we're gonna we're not having it tonight. We're gonna have it on on okay. Sunday. Gotcha. But uh, I got a late start. I'm but. not really focusing on the food. I'm focusing more on the whiskey. I think. Yeah, That's, <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> although, you're gonna spike your sh- <laughs> shake we, a little bit. We did focus on food. So one of our coworkers brought in. <laughs> cupcakes with with green icing but also mm-hmm. instead of rice crispy treat they were lucky charms treat which with extra marshmallow i don't know if you had yes yeah. yeah i i like them yeah but i heard you com- complaining i don't know if you're I'm saving not that for your, complain. your, no. your complaint no, later I, on. I didn't i didn't dislike them it just wasn't it didn't blow me away but yeah. i'm not really like a breakfast cereal i am a sugar freak and i do have a sweet tooth but for some reason i don't i'm not a big fan of breakfast cereals yeah. so so, so, but I had way too much to eat today. Yeah, so but, I'm already slowed down. But we are we got some questions this week, so we know we it's probably going to be a, a long episode because uh, we did have our long-winded friend that called in as well. We, so, yes, but you're yes. going to have to wait for that. We want to kick off this episode like we kick off every episode with "That's Hot." So would you like to go first? Would you? I don't even know what yours is, but I'll, I'll go first. Okay, um, great. That gives me an opportunity to actually change. And my this background. is we're we're like I've been complaining in the last couple uh, episodes of the buzz. We were running out of plants over the winter, and we're finally starting to come out of that. And uh, it's actually one of my favorite shrubs that I'm featuring today, and that is Salix discolor. Oh, very and nice. And that is uh, the pussy willow, really... and it's really just starting to bloom right now. I was talking to my brother and. Um, he was saying in our area uh, of, of central New Jersey, probably like one or two more hot days and they'll really start to open yeah. up and flower. And if you aren't familiar with that plant, it's um, it's in the willow family. Uh, it likes it fairly wet. It's a facultative wet plant. Uh, it'll grow, well, when it's multi-stemmed, it'll grow 15 feet tall, yeah. roughly. Yeah. Um, it can be shorter than that. You can prune it pretty heavily, and it'll yeah. keep branching out. I consider that a shrub. I don't know its actual classification. I but consider it's a small it a, tree a or shrub a large too, shrub. But yeah. I grew one. This is I think I've even told this story. It was the first plant I ever really grew, and it was just a stick I found on the ground. I stuck it in a pot of sand, and it grew. And we ended up planting it uh, behind our house, and it grew. It was a single stem. Okay. Uh, pussy well, it grew about thirty feet tall. It was as tall as the house. Wow. And uh, it was huge. That's but awesome. It, I've actually looked that up, and they said that's fairly rare to have that kind of growth habit. Most of the time, right. they're multi-stemmed. They stay short. Yeah. Not, I don't want to say short, yeah. but they don't get 30 feet tall. They get but, like 10 for, to 15 feet tall. And for our listeners that are thinking about doing them live stakes, so like <clears> you can actually put them in a, in a glass of – cutting in a glass of water, yeah. and it will root. But you mm-hmm. can also – uh, take a cutting, put it right in the ground. It will root, and if you if it's coming up single stem and not shrubby, you can just cut it back really mm-hmm. hard, and it will force it to be a multi stem. Yep. So, yep. Uh, some other things I found out. I I knew the the fuzzy. If you're familiar with that plant, it gets a a fuzzy flower. I guess yeah. is, is technically like a catkin. Uh, but yeah, they're technically yeah. called catkins, catkins, which is where it gets the name pussy willow. Yeah. Um, and I didn't realize that they were dioecious until I was just started looking them up today. You know what? I, I didn't know that either. And uh, there's male flowers, which the male flowers are the ones that are more prized in the ornamental trade. You'll find yeah. them actually a lot now in uh, in bouquets and yeah. um, and arrangements of that sort. But uh, and the female flowers are smaller and a little bit greener, where the male flowers are bigger and yeah. and more gold. Which uh, which I didn't know that until I just looked it up. No. And being in the Willow family, uh, if you look at refer to Doug Tallamy's list, that's pretty high on um, 
uh, for uh, ben- being beneficial for lepidoptera species and yeah. butterfly species, moth species. And, uh, and and there are uh, bee specialists, willow, yeah. willow bee specialists. And uh, pussy willow in particular is really good for the viceroy butterfly larvae, wow. which I found out. So for our listeners that maybe don't understand what dioecious is, so – and I, I, I'll be yeah, honest. I should have done a better job even, explaining Even that. as a nurseryman, I confuse – I know the concept, but I constantly confuse it. So there's monoecious – and dioecious. Mm-hmm. Dioecious means there's a male and female plant. You yes. need one of each to get uh, berries or fruit. Mm-hmm. Or, where monoecious, it's male and female on the same, on plant, the same plant, and it, you don't need. Sometimes you confuse because it's like, does monoecious mean there's only one? Yeah, <laughs> you know, but yeah. it's yeah, monoecious means there's. And then at the, uh, yeah. to complicate things further, when it comes to to plant um, breeding and yeah. and all that is. Sometimes you have plants where that plant can um, fertilize itself, and mm-hmm. sometimes you have plants where they need other plants. Right. Think of pawpaws. Pawpaws, yeah. uh, you need um, two separate plants, or even blueberries, yeah. I believe. You need yeah. two separate plants to fertilize each other. Yes. That plant, a bee couldn't visit one flower on that plant and fertilize another flower on that same plant. It needs yeah. to go to another plant to fertilize it. Yes. Uh, one of the, Same way, I think persimmon may be that way too. I, I think. believe it yeah. is. I know one of the misconceptions is um, uh, I've had this question with pawpaw in particular. Is people say, "Oh, well, I need a, a different variety. I can't get the same pawpaw," which is true if you're getting varieties of pawpaw. Yeah. When it's a straight species, you just need two plants. If you, you need, need yes. if you are getting a variety of pawpaw, which I don't even remember variety names of pawpaw, yeah. uh, you would need a. Uh, two different varieties because yes. if you had two separate plants and they're the same variety technically they are genetically identical so that's yeah. why they can't can't do it pro- even though they're two separate plants they can't propagate each other because they're because you clone them. the same yeah they're they're exactly so, the same so yeah, um already we're choice. already deviating <laughs> <laughs> so mine is you know and it's again it's it's funny you know it's it's getting towards the end of winter it's 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 you know close to the beginning of spring but and you you think wow there's there's not a lot of winter interest or we've covered it all and then you come across something that you forget about and mine was rosa virginiana Mm -hmm. or uh, virginia rose um you know i had to pick a shrub since we were doing shrubs i Mm -hmm. thought that would be a great one but it's a, a facultative species four to six foot tall it has a single pink solitary flower uh it can take wet. It can take dry. I've seen it a lot of times in more coastal environments, uh, mm-hmm. and and birds like it. So cardinals and bluebirds really like the rose hip. So it does have a very attractive rose hip uh, for winter interest and for for birds for foraging. So, you know, and I just happened to walk by uh, one and saw the rose hip. So I was like, yeah, you know, it's it's funny what you overlook sometimes and forget about. But that is my uh, that is my my that's hot. Now is the Virginia rose are those rose hips edible to humans? I don't know. Um, I, I honestly uh, don't know, and I, I I'm I'm. It, I, it, yes, they. Well, I think they. Are. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm pretty sure. Do your own research at home, just yes. to double check. But I believe those ones are edible to humans as well. Okay. Yeah, I'm not. Um, I'm not positive. So yeah, awesome. very cool. Awesome. So let's. We should probably move on. So, oh yeah, yeah. Um, and this is our botany-based current <laughs> events that that we always do. So, uh, and of gonna, course, it's got to be a competition. It is always a competition. So the winner of of this and that this week, I I don't even know who won. It, it's a tie. We tie. Technically, it's a tie six six. But 
This, this is my complaint. I'm, I'm combining two segments here. All right. So on in the Facebook group, it's 6-6. Six, six. But I kind of feel there has to be some sort of role. When you enter a contest, like say you hear something on the radio and they ask you to call in. Or <laughs> I think I know where you're it, going. It's always that uh, family and coworkers aren't – you know, they can't, they can't participate. Mm-hmm. So – the tying vote was your wife, and I and didn't request that. No, and, she, and, I'm and not she doesn't always vote for me. She, oh, she I asked she's her to, never voted. But, but it, there's been times with your your mom and your wife have voted, but they've never voted for me. So I'd have to say <laughs> they, that they, they do vote. <laughs> they may not vote every week, but when they vote, they vote for you. So I kind of feel there is a bias there, and maybe it shouldn't be allowable. That's my. That's I, my I disagree. Simply oh. because I'll, I'll lose. If I, <laughs> I just feel right now it's a tie. I kind of feel like like Melissa's vote should not be allowed. Now the wonderful thing is I know Melissa's going to listen to this before it actually airs. Yeah. So she'll hear this conversation. Oh yeah. And then yeah, I wish we could call her and then have her chime in. But uh, you, you know what? But Can, I don't know if she'll <laughs> she'll answer. You know what? You want me to call her? Yeah, let's do it. All right. All right, home. Let me let me try this. This may work. This may not. All right, we got a nine month baby at home, so who knows? What she's she doing may right see, now. she may see that it's me. Like, why is yeah. Fran calling me? <laughs> We've never done this live phone call. Hello. Hi, Melissa. It's Fran, and I just want to let you know you're on the air on the podcast right now with Tom and I. Ooh. <laughs> so. There's a reason why I'm calling. We're we're discussing. We're at the the segment where we discuss this or that and the score, and uh-huh. who won for the week. So, right now it's a tie. Technically, it's oh a tie. But uh-huh. I am arguing the fact that you should not be allowed to vote. Well, okay, because <laughs> I have a bias. Because yeah, because your family, okay. and that I, even though Tom doesn't ask you to vote or vote for him. You've never voted for me. So, one, I'm hurt. Wow. Fran, you're noticing these details. I am. I have an eagle eye when it comes to rules. So, we're Fran, trying. I can't help that you don't pick the good articles, Fran. Oh, I can't help that. Uh-huh. You know, I'm, I'm thinking Melissa should also be banned from the, <laughs> the Native Plant wow. Healthy Planet Facebook group. <laughs> Blacklisted. Blacklisted. I don't know. What are your feelings on this? Uh, you know, if if you could promise me that somewhere in the future you will vote for one of my articles, I don't have I a problem with a it. I could vote. I could try <laughs> to do that. You know, I'm tr- I'm yeah, maybe on I'm one a of those follower myself. <laughs> yeah, those instances where you're losing like 15 to 1, maybe maybe she can throw you a vote then. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm thinking like when I'm when I have no chance of winning, she'll be like, "Eh, I could throw one friend's way." I don't know. But you What's, know, if I do that, you're going to feel like it's not genuine now. When when I vote for you, you're going to be like, "Oh, is this a pity vote? Is this a real vote? I don't know. Can I trust her? It's Tom, a little sus." Tom, is that something I would do? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know if it's you would. totally yeah, something it I would do. Agonizing over it. <laughs> it's totally something I would do. Uh, all right, I'm going to I'm going to make a ruling. And I'm going to allow it this time. Okay. But if I, I if I see a vote. pattern. Uh-huh. I, I think I would uh, – this is also my not that I'm one to complain segment as well. Okay. Uh, where I'm complaining. So 
we figured we needed to call and, and get a clarification. I just wanted to make sure it wasn't biased. Okay. I promise to vote with my heart and not my last name. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Thank you for, for being a part of the uh, podcast today. Of course. Anytime. <laughs> Good talking to you. Right. Talk to you later. <laughs> bye, guys. All right. Bye. <laughs> All right. There you go. Yeah, This may be one of the few instances where there is not only one. Yeah, I can't even play that. Yeah. There's not only one. So it was a tie, So which was good, and we had 12 votes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. Some weeks we get a lot of votes. Some weeks yeah, yeah. no votes. I don't know if it's just that people didn't listen that week or if they don't really care or I, can't pick I a winner. I do think it's some some of it's when I put up the Facebook post a little like, late. When we're, but, you know, yeah, uh, I think when it comes up, you know, it's it's hard because we're sometimes the buzz isn't always recorded. The week that it airs sometimes mm-hmm. we have to do it early sometimes we don't have enough votes yeah. in when we do it but it's what we have yeah. and we have to deal with it we're starting to get pretty busy around here so we're getting to the yeah. point where i think we're going to start doing some episodes back to back just out of necessity mm-hmm. so yeah it may be you know the vote could change that's one thing that we haven't like we haven't gone back to look and see people because yeah that is what uh, we're recording this on saint patrick's day yeah. but what if the person's listening in august yeah then what exactly they can't they can't take part but that's on them they should be listening yeah, live listen now this because this is going to come out you need to listen and then go right over the facebook group and vote uh we can't we can't make any exceptions from now on no votes over youtube We're... yeah it's 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 now or never so all right well given that it's a draw would you yeah. like to, i, I, I don't think we did have two uniquely interesting articles last i do week too. too i and, do too. uh and I think we do this week as well. Yeah, so, and and it's, would you like to go first? Yeah, we, I'll go first. Okay, all right. So this was, uh, <laughs> and, and you had trouble choosing articles. I this did, week. yeah. And um, I like I've, I've mentioned before, I go through LinkedIn, Facebook, whatever I'm on. I, I'll see an article, even though I'm just reading. I'll see an article that kind of fits where I think, oh, maybe this will be a good one that'll get a lot of votes, or or it's just interesting yeah. to me. I'll put it in my um, my uh, my safari browser and just kind of leave the tab yeah. open and yeah and um and i'll come back to them later and then say okay which one's going to be the best and i was really torn between three one of which was like okay this is going to get me votes yeah. i know it will it was pretty simple it's pretty basic but i wasn't as interested in it i shouldn't say that i was interested in it. it was all about why you should start gardening later because um it's you have a lot of butterflies and and moths that have eggs that are in your in your leaves and in your or <clears throat> bees in the stems like of plants like we talked about last week yeah and you don't want to clean that up too soon because then you're basically disposing of all that yeah. stuff yeah. as well uh i mean preferably you, if you can you don't want to clean yeah. it up at all but you know i know that that's difficult sometimes mm-hmm. and and you you, you yeah. do the best you can. and that is something i do want to make sure we we put out in the podcast as well if you're thinking like now we just had a couple warm days end of last week uh, the weekend was pretty nice. A lot of people were itching to get out of your, your, their gardens. My advice is go slow. Yeah. Do a little bit of time. Make sure you have a plan. Wait for uh, – it's it's always that first, like, 55, 60-degree day. You want to get out there. Wait till you have a couple of those in a row. That's yeah. when everything is starting to wake up. The plants are starting to wake up. The, the insects are starting to wake up a little bit. And you'll do <clears throat> uh, less ecological damage. Yeah. You're already helping out so much. You don't want to throw any of that effort away exactly. because you're a little bit too ambitious in the spring. Yeah, don't but, ruin it at the end just because you got impatient. But that was it, my article. Time. That was the one of the articles <laughs> I was looking at. There was another one about 
um, the business of, of pollination trade and um, basically how a lot of the things that we really enjoy, some of the luxuries in our lives are all uh, because of pollinators in underdeveloped countries where they still have a lot of these natural places. And, uh, and we have to ship that stuff in because we don't have as many natural places in a developed country like the United States. But the article I went with really highlighted the ties between people and nature and how important that is. And I thought of when I was looking at, oh, this was on from March 2nd. This is great. And then I realized it was from a year ago, March 2nd, but a year that, ago. But, but it's still the, the concept really rings true. I, you know, I, I know I picked older articles before mm-hmm. like i had one in the fall that was from may of the same year I, yeah, i'm yeah. i'm fine with that and that was a complete pandering article that, if i had oh it. i <laughs> i was losing left and right i needed i needed but, something uh, to get me back on track but the article i really looked at this year it was titled uh, it was from anthropocene magazine which i'd never heard of i've never heard um of but uh but they the articles i found on there were all based off of uh university studies okay. and they just kind of took that university study and just gave like a synopsis of it but this article was titled "Cities Don't Just Need." Oh, uh-oh. Uh, uh, <laughs> Cities don't just need parks. That's one of my kids calling me. <laughs> I don't know. Could you? Uh, last time the phone rang, we thought it showed up, but I don't know if that, anyone will hear that. I, I don't apologize. Think it will. Let's make a note of the time too, just yeah, in, just in just, case it does. Nah, I'll let it go. That's <laughs> that's fine. So, my article was "Cities Don't Just Need Parks; They Need Big Wild Ones," um, and it was written by a, a woman, Sarah. Oh gosh, I'm terrible with bad last names. De Weird, D E W E E R D T. De Weird. I, I don't know. De Weird. De Weird. I don't I know. No I'm not. You're I don't even know why person. I tried. I'm horrible. I, apparently, I I I mentioned uh, on Facebook the last time I mentioned uh, uh, Kyle, and I I'm I think I was corrected to say Liberge. <laughs> I'm horrible, and I always qualify by going, I don't know, this yeah. is my best guess. <laughs> but, and um, then I pronounce it like three or yeah, four I different ways. Yeah, I think I ways. said his name like Lieberger or something yeah. like that. So maybe it's Lieberger. Maybe his friend was just messing with me. I have uh, no clue. But uh, yeah, I'm terrible with last names, so and which is my last name's tough, so I have no excuse. So is, so is mine. You know, I've, I've yeah. gotten Christmas, you know, Chrismar. <laughs> Everyone adds extra R's yeah. to it. Chrisman, Chris, you know, so I, I get it. But uh Basically, this article revolved around how much, especially in cities, we need nature. Uh, and it was based off a study that was done at Seattle's Discovery Park, which Seattle's Discovery Park is like a 500-acre park. At least at the time this was written, it was a 500-acre park where there were some areas that were fairly wild um, and, and undeveloped, I guess is one way to put it. Okay. And uh, basically, they were saying the fullest benefits that citizens get from nature come from these wildest areas they don't necessarily come from going to the park and seeing the grass and sitting on a park bench uh that's nice but you don't get as much of the benefit yeah and uh basically what they did is they the researchers invited visitors from of this park to submit online comments about their most meaningful experiences with nature from inside the park uh basically most of the the uh responses a quarter of the responses all had to do with inter- interaction with wildlife. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a fifth of the responses had uh, walking down like a trail somewhere in this park. Um, <clears throat> and then they took it a step further and started to measure meaningful interactions. So interactions that um, <clears throat> kind of referenced like a, a sense of peace or tranquility or something that brought the higher level. It wasn't, oh, I went in the park and I saw a squirrel. Yeah. It was... I saw I saw a, a hawk and it made me feel this way. Yeah. I saw I was able to look out over the water and it made me feel this way. 
Um, and then they even took it a step further and tracked those interactions to and made it relative to the wildness in the park. Yeah. So, like I said, it wasn't they'd track and say, oh, this interaction was on a park bench right off the, the path and you could still hear the cars going by and look yeah. over the grass. This place was close to a pond that was in a more remote area of the park. And uh, and what they found was uh, the interactions and how meaningful they were directly correlated to the wildness of where in the park they were. Okay. Um, and uh, for example, or, or I'll go into the stats first. 75% were linked directly to the wildness in the park. 95% of the meaningful interactions, ones where they felt an emotional feeling, um, were linked to wildness. And 96% of the positive psychological interactions were linked to where the wildest areas in this park were. Um, so it was things like, I saw an eagle. Well, you're not going to see that in a little pocket park that you're going to have in other parts of the city where it's a block or two. You're only going to have that in areas where you're going to have like 500 acres or or more of, of wild in a way. Um, and even so it's still a park, so it's not completely wild. Like if you're in the, the, backcountry of montana you're in downtown seattle and then you're in a park but but we've talked about that with fragmentation too just because you Mm -hmm. might have an acre it it doesn't support like if you had a 10 acre lot and you fragmented it to one acre the bigger it is the more uh the you can support uh animals and and wildlife that needs a larger range yes yeah so um so that was really really interesting that they found that people they found that they were in a better psychological state going to these wild areas they had more meaningful interactions where they were moved by nature in a way in these wild areas more so than like i said sitting on a park park bench and feeding bread to a squirrel or a duck or something like that they were having these meaningful interactions with with wilder areas in a way and um and it makes sense i mean yeah oh yeah dr emil devito when he was on was saying he would love for someone to do a study with mental health as far Mm -hmm. as related to open space and parks yeah and and how that affect someone's mental health and i think yeah. this alone is is saying oh, yeah. that yes it does and i'll touch on there is some research that was done on that okay. i meant to comment on it another time but um one of the things that they questioned with this study was the demographics of the study it was the the air that area tends to be a more uh well one white and affluent yeah. area okay so they were saying if you had it in another area and obviously you can't replicate because they don't have those kind of parks yeah. in the other areas but uh if you had different demographics, would those experiences tend to be the same? You, you know, it one would, could say yes, but you you don't know until you do that kind of study. You know, it would be interesting to see you know a study years down the road of like Harrison Avenue landfill. Yeah, you know, in mm-hmm. Camden, and and because that's such an important space to that mm-hmm. uh, locale. Yeah, that I think mm-hmm. that would be a great study for yeah. something like that. And uh, the other thing they said is. Actually, this park, they were actually looking at developing some housing units and removing some of the, the park. Okay. Um, and they were saying, well, at what point do you lose a lot of those benefits? Like, how small does the park have to be to lose those benefits? And what is the actual, like, I don't want to say economic cost, but what is the cost of losing those benefits on psychological health, yeah. on on uh, well, mental health, off of physical health? those kind of things when you don't have those meaningful interactions with nature anymore. So that was, it was a really interesting concept. Um, One that I think you and I probably take for granted because we live in an area where you can be five minutes away from nature. Exactly. um, And you don't get that in cities. 
You don't. So you don't. But that's a great article. I will touch on what you just said with uh, the mental with health, the mental health side of um, of nature. But they've done a lot of studies, and uh, really, what has prompted is a lot of biophilic design, where you're incorporating nature into buildings, whether it's courtyards or, or those kind yeah. of things, but incorporating more natural areas and water into buildings. Uh, they found that just having a window in a hospital room, you heal a certain percentage faster. If you were to bring a fake plant inside, you heal even faster. If you bring a real plant, it's even higher than that. So just having some semblance of nature wow. really helps you heal in a way. Yeah. Like from physical ailments, you will heal. Uh, they found the same thing in classrooms. Just having a window, you, you learn more or you learn um, better. <laughs> learn, you learn you yeah. learn better if you do this. I don't. That's probably the right way to say it. But you learn um, more efficiently uh, if you have plants in the classroom. It just it gets faster or better and better the closer you are to plants. Yeah. Uh, same thing with office spaces. They find having a window, your your team is more productive. Having uh, plants in the office makes your employees more productive. Having so, you know sitting next to a window next to a garden for me mm -hmm. here is huge yeah for me yeah. seriously i i i ponder you know i take little mental you know 10 second 15 second breaks just mm -hmm. seeing what's going on outside yeah so to emil's point it's like the studies are actually already being done um but you don't necessarily even just need open space you just need a window yeah and you get results and the more and more or i don't there's probably a, a place of diminishing returns where you get closer to nature closer to plants and eventually it starts to level off, off. Or, or you you're spending you too lose, much time you're spending yeah. too much time in nature but um from what they've tracked in office school classroom and hospital mm -hmm. settings there's so many benefits just having nature that's you know, like huge outside that's huge. Or, or inside that's yeah. huge that's awesome great article so, Great yeah. article. How about I, yours? What's your article? Well, I think your article is going to win because I specifically <laughs> chose this article to lose. I want this one to lose. I don't want one vote. I don't even want a pity vote on this one. I want you to well, destroy yeah, me on this one. For, for our listeners, you're not necessarily voting on the article itself. You can vote for the article yeah. itself, but you're we're more want you to vote on who did a better job of presenting their article. I'll do a horrible <laughs> job presenting it then. So then, this one, you know, and I chose this article <coughs> because I feel as though it was irresponsible reporting. Mm -hmm. And um, and I don't agree with the article at all. And it's it's presented as factual, but there's no scientific data to back the food web claims that are made in this article. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to go into to extreme detail. So uh, they make a lot of food web claims regarding insects. I think it's very generic and, and opinionated piece. Um, and it's to me, it's one where people value themselves as humans above the rest mm -hmm. of the ecosystem. So um, – this is another article from fizz.org where, where I do get a lot of my native plant articles, and it's by Ian D. Rotherman, and the name of it is Ecofusion is the New Normal as Native and Non-Native Species Mixed Together. Now, is that factual? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I mean it really is. When you look at the amount of, of invasives um, that have taken over, and we, we spend so many episodes – you know, there's a reason why there are invasive species strike teams mm -hmm. and how much time and money and energy that we spend eradicating invasives. The stance on this article is that we shouldn't do it because you can't. You can't visit. Mm -hmm. You're never going to get ahead. You're never going to fix it. So just let it take over and it, whatever's strong enough to survive. It's the survival of the fittest at this point. 
And at this point, there's so many exotic species that it's a mix of native and non-native anyway. So it's we have a mixed ecosystem. Just leave it mixed because mm-hmm. it's providing function. And he was like, oh, the insects use both anyway. Well, that's there's yeah. there's proof that that's not true. Um, mm-hmm. It's maybe the exotic ones are liking the exotic. And, and you know, we, we see – and we've talked about it with the article that we did in Oahu. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and things like that. So he's just saying that a, a pure standpoint isn't feasible, um, that wildlife itself is a combination of native and non-native. It, this is a new normal, especially with climate change regimes. Everything's changing every way. So his whole his whole opinion is throw your hands up in the air and just say, I give up mm-hmm. and just let it go. Well, we see the damage that it's, it's causing, and it's worth preserving what we have before it's lost. Mm-hmm. Is it costing a lot of money? Yeah, we need to get better at not putting the Band-Aid on the back end but preventing more of it happening yeah, yeah. And, and future outbreaks and future invasives. So it's – you know, his whole his whole point is, well, people like these exotic species. That's why they're here anyway, so just let people have what they want and what they like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I just felt, wow, that is very – a self-centered point of view and not looking yeah. at the health of the entire ecosystem you're looking at what a you're looking at traditional gardening as a human mm-hmm. like i want what i like and you know everything else can deal with it and you know i'm uh, reading an article like that is a standpoint that we haven't learned anything from our mistakes mm-hmm. and i think we have just not this person i hopefully there's more people that that think like us than think like that yeah and <clears throat> not having read the article but but listening to your synopsis of it non-natives and even invasive they do contribute ecologically yeah in a way there is some truth to what he's saying i'm not arguing carbon sequestration there's things that they they replace but like you mentioned it breaks up so much of the food web and uh, i think of of blaine rothhauser's research with his moth nights where he literally can tell you what plants are there just based off of off of the moths that show up over the course of the night yeah and some moths are showing up at 9 p.m or or 10 p.m some of them are showing up at two in the morning some of them only need or will only feed off of cottonwood trees or not the moth but the the larval stage so he knows that there's cottonwood trees there if that moth is there so if you if you specifically if you allow invasives to, to take over you lose so much of that plant diversity which therefore you lose so much of that insect Insect. diversity and that was what i was Mm going to say next actually was yeah you may have a functioning fusion ecosystem Mm -hmm. but with such a lack of diversity what functions are it actually performing to sustain life you know for everyone if if you're you're looking at at a certain scale if you did that globally Mm -hmm. i think it would be a really hard uh you know we would you know you actually just were talking about a study what was the other article with the how you were saying with underdeveloped countries oh yeah so the the other article i was written out was also also from anthropocene magazine and um but it was in short it was talking about how these uh these underdeveloped countries like Take a cup of coffee, for instance. Yeah. If you're having a cup of coffee, say you went to Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks and you got like a, a mocha cup of coffee. Yeah. Well, the chocolate in there is pollinator pollinated. Yeah. And the coffee is pollinator pollinated. And it's not by honeybees. It's by unique 
insects that are, that are native to that area and they rely mm -hmm. off of those uh, really specific connections between the plants that are native to there and um, and themselves yeah. and they're they that have rely off of evolution each other. yeah and um, we aren't or we have fewer of those complex relationships because we've we don't know how much we've lost we just know that we've had to have yeah. lost some of these relationships yeah. over time because we've introduced invasive species we're clearing land for for agriculture and, and housing and warehousing and that kind of stuff so uh when you do that you're losing those relationships that are developed between plants and insects which is really the base 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 yeah. of our food web um and so who knows what kind of things we've lost just because we've yeah. done that and if you if um, if you don't learn from those mistakes and yeah. you just keep continuing who knows but, what uh, else you you lose maybe that cup of coffee which yeah. is now already outrageous in price yeah becomes yeah. 15 dollars for a cup of coffee and, um, but in that article that that was their argument is you go mm -hmm. to some of these under or undeveloped nations or, or lesser developed nations they still have a lot of these wild areas where they haven't been able to go yeah. you go to brazil they are clear cutting parts of the amazon for yeah. avocados and all different kinds of things they can grow but there's parts they just haven't gotten to yet that yeah. are in that or wild and almost in a pristine untouched state yeah there aren't people there so uh and that's where some of these pollinators that's where they originate from is those yeah. kind of areas so yeah. so uh, that was probably a little too complex for me to no, tackle but that, in, that, in that 15 minutes or so cooperates but my thinking yeah. with this article now the mm -hmm. article i i originally was going to pick was i think it was through penn state cooperative extension mm -hmm. where citizens have started uh cataloging what eats what are predators yeah. to uh spotted lanternfly so they were mm -hmm. noting that things like uh cardinals and blue jays had been eating it mm -hmm. in certain like mantises and, and yeah. insects yep. and spiders that that will prey on it so that you can build habitats in your yard to attract these songbirds to help predate mm -hmm. a spotted lanternfly, which I thought was a great article that citizens coming together and actually doing science to help solve a problem rather than chemicals yeah. or something like that. So, But I chose this one because I was so angry yeah. <laughs> at it yeah. that I wanted to bring light to it because these are the types of articles that I'm afraid go to someone that isn't informed and sees that and goes, mm -hmm. oh, this is a really good point. This is a scientific article, and mm -hmm. I'm going to follow these steps. So yeah. I just want to bring it to the light that, no, I, I, I don't think that these are the correct steps, yeah. and, and I would hate for mm -hmm. that to be someone's first experience with mm -hmm. with, with nature and native yeah. plants. So so I, I think we've both made a really good presentation oh yeah and and now it's up to everyone else yeah and of course the choice is yours. go vote go vote now now you can oh, wait. Or, yeah. or when it comes up <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll, I'll i'll do my very best to make sure it comes out at a reasonable hour on friday all right uh i'm gonna say by 2 p.m all right that's i think i can do that. that's reasonable i might i wonder if there's a way i can pre-schedule i know for oh, regular I posts can. i can i don't oh, know if i can pre-schedule i don't know for a group. page yeah i don't know so, for a well, page I'll, I'll make it happen. All right. Are you are you ready? We did get questions this week. Are you ready for some questions? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. And I want to have them answered immediately. It's a simple question. Um, no, I didn't hear you. What was your question? All right. So we, we have a new caller, someone that hasn't called in before, which, well, which I applaud. I love that. So let's get right into it. Hey, this question is for Jim and Pam. Uh, this is Eric, otherwise known as Dr. Evil. I wanted to put out a question there. It's really 
what is the role of local ecotypes in an environment that's changing, specifically with respect to global climate change? And as zones, uh, as antiquated notion as zones are, uh, move north, uh, what should we be doing about local ecotypes, realizing this might be really dependent on the species? But I'm looking for some commentary on that. I try to buy all local ecotypes, but I am concerned about long-term prospects. Okay, that's it. I love the show. Thank you guys very much. I, I think that's a great question. And, oh, yeah. And uh, I love that we have someone calling in that goes by Dr. Evil. <laughs> yeah. So you are now officially Dr. – actually, Dr. Evil left us a very nice and funny five-star review on Apple, mm-hmm. which is Pam is a great social lubricant. Yeah. So <laughs> – I love that. I love that our listeners are embracing the whole Jim and Pam. Oh yeah, you yeah. Know, me too. I I I love that. So thank you for calling in. Um, my my personal opinion on on this is I know and and you were saying antiquated, like seed zones being mm-hmm. antiquated. I'm not a huge fan of those seed zone maps. Um, th- to me, they're they're broken down too small. Um, because it's not like cl- climate change is a new thing. Things have evolved and changed over time naturally for for centuries so mm-hmm. um you know and it's it's a fact like we've seen sugar maple zone moving further north we've seen where the line between the southern form of nissa sylvatica or black gum and the northern uh species start to shift further north like so we know what's happening it, it depends on what you consider local ecotype you know and, mm-hmm. and that's an argument in itself are you going to go um Strictly with the seed map and and smaller, I I think it's a wider radius than that, unfortunately, yeah. because things do change. Things are going to mm-hmm. change naturally over time. And there's a difference. Um, I'm trying to figure out how where I want to start with this. There's there's a yeah. lot here. Yeah. So there is. there's a, a difference first between herbaceous plants and woody plants, yeah. especially long lived trees. You have something like a white oak yeah. can live for over 300 years. That's climate change is going to play a huge role in the lifespan of that that plant. Yeah. Where you take something like cardinal flower, where it's only going to last that that individual is only going to last what two or three years probably. Yeah. Well, climate change isn't really going to matter. Um, now for the the population where they're constantly dropping seed and there's offspring coming up, well then it will start to matter a little bit more. But even then. 50 years of, of cardinal flower is going to be so many different generations yeah. versus one white oak that can live that entire yeah. time. So there's actually something. I was included in this conversation, and I wish I remembered more. This was yeah. three or four years ago. I was in Kentucky for uh, a program through the uh, U.S. Forest Service where they were talking about seed, um, basically all these seed zones that they were coming up with in – almost as a substitution i don't want to say a substitution uh i don't even want to say it was an alternative it was in addition to ecoregions and they were actually mapping out uh climate change and saying if climate change accelerates at the rate that they're predicting um and they had a couple different rates in this model set up and it would show if you were going to plant a tree that was going to live for a hundred years where would you need to? Where could you get that seed from that would match the climate a hundred years from now, um, today? And it was if you want to do something in southern New Jersey, maybe you're looking in a hundred years from now. Maybe you're looking at someplace in North Carolina. Yeah, 
but that's a, a large tree that's going to last a long, long time. Exactly. And uh, and I, I wish I could find the link. <laughs> I'll try. Yeah. I'll find it, but, and then I will. I know I have it in an old email and, here. And we're approaching this. Both of us are approaching this from a standpoint that yeah. we're proponents of local provenance. Yes, yeah, definitely. Uh, we're, we're firm believers. It's just, you know, we've seen. And there's so many schools of thought. We've seen there was a project up in Jamaica Bay, New mm-hmm. York, going back years, uh, years ago, probably ten years ago or more, where they wanted the plants that were planted at the bay grown from seed that was collected from the community in mm-hmm. in that location. Now there were other things involved, but it was I, I don't want to go into that, but. Ari Novi, who is now – I don't even know where he's at now, but he was the director at the National Arboretum. He's moved he's on. moved on. Yeah, he's moved that. on. But at the time, he was a graduate student at, mm-hmm. at Rutgers and did research because they, they wouldn't accept plants that we grew from New Jersey, but they were only eight miles away through water, uh, by way of water. And when they did the genetic study, he, he found there was no difference in genetics from where we collected it. To where that was so their school of thought was no it has to be from this distinct community because it's um a, a community that's different uh or acts differently than than most other places and outside of this community is unacceptable and when they did the genetic testing they found absolutely no difference from eight miles away in a different state but just on the mm-hmm. other side of the water so you know, I, I feel it's it's a mile radius that's constantly changing, and if it's close and it, enough, and it changes that, per by species too. Yeah, and, and like you said, like if you're planting something now and now it's a local provenance as of today, and it's a long lived tree, it's not going to be 200 years from now. And are you mm-hmm. jump starting that by changing that provenance? I don't know that answer. Yeah, um, I I think you, you match it up to what we're at today, and and you get as close as you can. And mm-hmm. sometimes that's not always feasible, but it shouldn't prevent you from doing restoration. Like mm-hmm. you don't want to blindly just say, I'll take whatever. Yeah. You still try to – if you can't get something reasonably close, then then what else can you use? Yeah, and I, something um, that also came up at that, that conversation was people really were saying, well, when we boil this down, is it – like a region level is it a state level is it a county level yeah uh and it was actor actually dr Dwayne estes this is actually yeah. i think where i met him uh he said and uh, and dr Dwayne estes is from um uh southeastern yeah. grasslands initiative uh he said well for a lot of species it comes down to a population level so yeah. if you aren't getting like seed from that population yeah. well it could be different 200 feet away well it's, you uh, you were actually saying that was it the New Jersey DEP with with redbud trees? They yeah. don't want. Yeah. Uh, they don't necessarily want to bring in. Well, most of the, um, a lot of the redbuds are coming from other areas, and they feel uh, specific people within DEP feel like it's polluting the the rare genetics of New Jersey. There, are, eastern redbud is rare in New Jersey, um, and now you're bringing in plants from other areas. Is it polluting? The genetics of these rare species we have left and these are all really good questions yeah you know and yeah. we could probably do a rooted discussion just on, there was, on provenance there was um, another study i saw that they took uh when it came down down to to provenance where they had i don't remember what plant it was and i don't remember where it was <laughs> what what part of the country but it was a plant and they took and sampled the the genetics of it 
and they were only like 300 feet away, but one was in a dry spot at the top of the hill, one was in a wet wetland at the bottom of the hill. And they actually found that the genetics were more different than they had another plant of that same species that was from all the way across the state and that but it was grown in a dry site yeah. well the ones that were grown in dry sites were closer genetically than the ones that were only 300 feet yeah. apart even though there was hundreds of miles between the two yeah. so there's a lot of things that go into it there there really is and and the best you can do is is your best yeah try your best it's yeah. i i don't know what the exact answer is or if there is an exact answer i i think we've seen jobs occur where it's the seed has to be collected within 50 miles mm-hmm. of the the planting site or 100 miles we've seen up to 250 miles when something is is harder to find in that mm-hmm. in that range yeah. um i don't know that i agree with 50 miles i don't know that i agree with 250 miles yeah you know it's i, I think there has to be somewhat of a balance yeah. and sometimes it's easier to get seed within a certain area another it's uh, not. another issue that that i brought up to this this panel was um you got to figure out if the seed's available or not if you yeah. if you can't find it yourself or you aren't comfortable propagating yourself yeah. and uh, and you're going to buy it from someone, would you rather deal, well, and this was the example I used. We were in Kentucky. I was dealing or sitting next to the owner of Roundstone Seeds, which is a great seed company Fantastic in Kentucky. Fantastic people, yeah. And I was saying, well, say we're doing a project in New Jersey, and I might, like being from New Jersey, I might have the, the closest – ecotype seed that i collected from i could have even collected from where you want to plant this the the plants but if i'm not answering the phone or not answering emails or uh or my product is full of weeds or (laughs) there's issues with my product are you going to be able to okay maybe i have the best or my prices are through the roof yeah if i'm hard to do business with well and it's easy to do business with this outfit in kentucky well why wouldn't you get it from them yeah like there's other things in addition to there's there's human factors that go along with it in addition to actually the the ecotype so that's if i had to summarize and and give my opinion i'd say there's a big difference between if you're planting herbaceous material short-lived material i guess i'll phrase it that way instead or long-lived material um even shrubs that are going to last like 15 20 30 40 years try and get them as close as you can from a reputable source yes that's that's probably the biggest thing is get it from a reputable source uh we've talked about a bunch of them on here before you have what's it i'll even list off the ones off the top of my head um prairie moon prairie nursery uh you have american meadows i think is up in vermont or massachusetts and they're pretty good with a lot of stuff um Oh man, I'm missing a whole part of the country. Okay. We you have a Native American seed down in yeah. Texas. There's a whole bunch on the West Coast that I, they're blanking on me right now. Uh, New Jersey specifically, you have Toad Shade, Wild Ridge, Earth First. Yeah. Um, uh, New Moon yeah. has a, a, they have a thing called pollination. Yeah. Um, Izell Native Plants actually works with a lot of different They vendors. work with North Creek and uh, people North like Creek that. North Creek Kind Earth so. Growers who've been yeah. on the show before. Uh, but I know they deal with some folks out in other parts of the country yeah. as well. You know, but so. a lot of times that material, like, that information's not in literature. If, if you're mm-hmm. curious and you're going to buy something, ask what the provenance is. Yeah. We, yeah. we collect our seed ourselves, so we, we catalog it. We know. I can look in the computer and say this seed is from mm-hmm. this county of this state. Um, most most reputable nurseries can tell you that. Yeah. If you get a I don't know, then so that then, would be my number one thing yeah. is work, consider is it short lived, long lived, yeah. 
um, work with people who are reputable and can at least tell you where that seed's yeah. from. Um, those are probably two big things. Yeah. And then my personal opinion is try and stick to as close as possible within those other two yeah. other two uh, criteria. Right. Is if I can find it from a reputable dealer and it's fairly close and uh, and it tends to be short-lived, well, yeah, then go with that person that you like that's, that's close to you. Yeah. That's probably the best option. I say we should probably move on. We're already Definitely. at about 50, <laughs> 50 over knew, 50 minutes. We knew and, it was going to be a we long haven't one. even covered the shrub topic yet. So we, we did get uh, – we were worried on the last episode of The Buzz because we hadn't heard from our friend Saul, and he graced us with a phone call this week. So you ready? Mm-hmm. All right. Hi. Hi, fellas. Hi. It, it's your buddy Saul, Saul, Saul Rosenberg. I'm – I'm okay, I, I guess. Uh, uh, Pam and, and, and Tom. See, Tom? I remember Tom. <laughs> Thank God. Tommy. No, Thomas. Thomas, like the English muffin. <laughs> Tom, the, Thomas, the English muffin with the nooks and, and, and the crannies. You, you boys remember that, I'm certain. I'm very certain. Anyway, the other day, fellas, I was, I'm so excited with the natives. I was making bog iron you know like the bat stove and, and the furnace and anyway i was firing up the furnace and my leg got shot hard with a piece of the iron and it swole all up like a balloon or, or, or a dirigible or, or like a zeppelin you know what i mean pam you, you know anyway fellas lately i've had a topic i'm concerned with it is the herds of marauding sheep what are coming around and I imagine you've read about this yourselves and are also concerned. So, the sheep. Anyway, I'm open to suggestions, as always, for a native shrub, perhaps, as a barrier, a barrier island, if you will, and uh, to shoo them away like a shoe or, or perhaps a boot to boot them. And I was thinking of the calmia, which is also, I believe, called the sheep killer. So perhaps uh, that could be a discussion. And, and when we are over, fellas, this uh, so-called social, so-called distancing, I believe, so-called distancing, which I've been practicing for about 40 years. I don't know what <laughs> the big thing is, but I'm worried that people, uh, bad people may try to burst into my home and steal the family jewels. Uh, no, no pun intended there, Pam, you know, but there are, so are there plants that I could use as a self-defense? You know, like a, a pepper spray or a mace to mace those miscreants away, like a club. And 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 have you heard of the pepper bush, which I was thinking could be helpful uh, as as perhaps an armament. It's called the clethra, the the alnifolia, and I, I wondered if I could make maybe a club out of that and 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 club somebody bad <laughs> if if they would try to invade the the, the garden of of loneliness here. Now, fellas, remember, remember my theme here in New Jersey. If it grows in the garden state, then it belongs on your dinner plate. Thank you, Pam and Thomas the English Muffin. This is your friend Saul uh, gardening in New Jersey. Goodbye. Uh, I don't even know where to start. I will say I'm starting to think Pam maybe isn't so bad. Mr. Yeah. English Muffin. <laughs> <laughs> he is getting your name right. But 
<laughs> yeah, that is good. And and English muffins are delicious. They are so. delicious. I, I like the nooks and crannies. Yeah. They hold the butter yeah. really well. So Definitely. maybe that's not eh, maybe that's not so bad. So <laughs> I do have a question though. You can't make bog iron, right? Bog iron no. is just in the bog. It's iron no, in the bog. So that was he referenced uh, a, a Batstow, bat and we have Batstow Village a, in New Jersey. Was a um, a historic. Uh, village yeah. and um, but basically it was during the Revolutionary War yeah. they, and prior they'd harvest the bog ore okay. and then make bog uh, iron bog iron and then okay. you'd make uh, pots and pans and right. I think during the Revolutionary War they used it to to it was very important because that was a place they could make iron okay um, in the colony so I stand corrected so, that's yeah. that's very uh, thrifty of him making oh, yeah. his own bog yeah bog it's a iron. very complex process and it wasn't a very good iron yeah and <laughs> I apparently remember, remember from my like middle school field trip to Batstone. and i'm wondering what kind of safety that <laughs> that saul is practicing because he seems to get hurt again yeah, yeah. again awful lot so i want to know where in new jersey he lives with the marauding hordes of sheep <laughs> <laughs> which I, it could be close to one of these solar farms because that's become popular is to it plant is. Solar farms with a uh, well, this doesn't go always hand in hand, but they'll plant them with native plants and then let the sheep go to kind of graze them instead of mowing. Them. I believe that's what yeah. Princeton University does yeah. with their solar. They were one of the first ones so, I remember doing that. Yeah. So, but I believe the sheep killer he's he's referring to is actually <laughs> sheep laurel, which mm-hmm. is if I remember correctly, Calmia angustifolia is mm-hmm. is sheep laurel. So, which is a great native plant, but it's also a very difficult one to grow. That's mm-hmm. you don't find it in production often because it's hard to grow from seed and it's a very slow yeah. grower. But I don't know about marauding sheep, herds of sheep. Herd- <laughs> 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 that sounds like a Monty Python skit yeah. actually. But he might be able to fix that problem and get rid of the the so-called distancers that are going to be breaking into his house. I have a feeling a lot of people are confusing social distancing and so-called distancing. But pepper bush does not make pepper spray. So that would maybe not be a great one. But, you know, the shrub that from that's hot, we talked about Rosa virginiana, Mm -hmm. or maybe if it's a wetter area, swamp rose or Mm -hmm. uh, pasture rose, Carolina rose, uh, any of those would be great for they're they're nice and thorny and mm-hmm. they they will help with wildlife but also detract from from miscreants at, yeah, attacking was, the the garden uh, of loneliness even on a uh there's a dispute about a um a retention basin on a uh development call I was on last week and that was the the lawyer's advice said, I found fences don't work keeping kids out, but thorny bushes do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so that might work. So I would go with a lot of the native roses mm-hmm. in New Jersey. Um, I, I think of his Garden of Loneliness much like Superman with his uh, – why can't I think of where he goes? Solid, Fortress of Solitude. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of figure, yeah. although with plants – you know, yeah. I, I, I kind of picture that Saul. But it seems his, he wants to keep it lonely. At first we thought he was just, just a lonely. lonely guy, but it seems like he wants to keep it lonely if he's yeah. trying to keep people out and keep the sheep yeah. out. And He's worried about those that. family jewels. Yep. you got to protect the family yeah. jewels. I, so. I wonder what <laughs> – you know what? Never mind. <laughs> but the one thing I do want to I, – I totally disagree with his if it grows in the garden state, it belongs on your dinner plate. Not true. We've already he did try to already eat winterberry, which we've we we now know are toxic to yeah. humans that you shouldn't eat. And there's a lot of other toxic uh, plant material. But he didn't that, take old down old Saul. So. No, he's still <laughs> he's still, still alive and kicking, making his bog iron. <laughs> <laughs> 
we need a tour of of Saul's Garden of Loneliness. Yeah. I want to see where he's making the bog iron. But one of the things Saul really kicked this into, and this was a lot of the theme of today's episode, was shrubs. He was yes. looking for like hedgy shrubs specifically, and but shrubs in general are more than just a hedge. They yeah. they can be food for wildlife they're they're beneficial for birds insects so there's some of the the earliest food for for pollinators yeah. in a lot of cases it's um, more than just a flower it's more than just a berry it's yeah. it they perform very specific ecosystem functions mm-hmm. as far as foraging and habitat and nesting and there's there's a lot of a lot of great functions so we we kind of started off i think most people probably could define this one but we've started off each topic with a definition so mm-hmm. when you look up a shrub the definition is a woody plant which is smaller than a tree and has several main stems arising at or near the ground so like a multi-stem most shrubs are are multi-stem mm-hmm. so um i think that's a great place to start oh, and yeah. we kind of put together just like a quick list and i thought we could go into some of the specifics and Definitely. like like Definitely. we have been and <clears throat> If you want, you can kick it off and start wherever you yeah, want. Yeah, so I know if we go back to, to Doug Talmy, Dr. Doug Talmy's list of his favorite plants, one of the ones that was on there was Prunus, the yeah. Prunus, uh, Prunus genera, family. Or the so. Prunus family, and man, there are so many. Um, I always considered Prunus serotina, the, the wild black cherry, a tree. I, I would too. And, I mean, because it's uh, but 40, I've heard 45. it referenced as a shrub before. I would, which I was always surprised by. But I there's other choke cherry is technically a shrub. Mm-hmm. I think if I remember correctly, that's something we don't grow. I'm not as familiar, but yeah. I want to say choke cherry is maybe a shrub. But uh, but you also have in along the coast you have beech plum, beech which plum, is a fantastic. Which, yeah. uh, not just for for well birds and bees and butterflies, but also for people. So, yes, it's one of uh. Uh, I was at a plant sale and I sold some beach plums to someone and uh, and they said, "Oh, how long are you gonna be here?" I was like, "Oh, probably another hour." He's like, "Okay, I'll be right back." I guess they lived around the corner. Okay, they drove home and then came back and gave me a jar of their homemade beach plum jam. Oh, oh my it? god, it was so That's good. Great. We yeah. sold some a few years ago and I can't remember to the organization, but they called back and they were excited because they got rare yellow fruited hmm. ones, uh, which they said are very genetically difficult to come by. And they really wanted to know about everything where we collected it, like everything, and they were hoping to get more. But it was just they managed to get two, and we didn't have any more that fruited yellow. So, um, you know, when we collect, we always try to collect from a large diversity of plant material uh, and and different places. So uh, you you do get those genetics. But it's very important with two two people and and wildlife with what it produces. Another one that I'm not as familiar with, but I hear it on a lot of these, like – wildlife habitat uh management groups is american plum yeah and i've heard that is like really really good for wildlife and i'm sure people can eat it as well i've had american plum wine really yeah which was which was agatha wasn't a fan i loved it yeah i thought it was great yeah it was really strong too yeah (laughs) so but yeah no really really but uh that's one of the ones when they talk about it uh, a lot of the folks i know that are in that are from the Midwest or down South, and that's one of their favorite plants is, yeah. is American plum. That's a great one. Uh, we have buttonbush, which to me is – there's not too many things when, when we're talking about forbs and grasses, and we get a lot of questions about how, how many inches of permanent inundation can these plants take. And when you get to the woodies, you're really limited when mm-hmm. it comes to inundation, but buttonbush is one that can live in water. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus that 
the the flower is so different and striking. It's 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 an obligate, I believe, but can take it in a little bit drier conditions mm-hmm. as well. Uh, it it's just a great the, the the flower is just so unique that it's a must have if you can if you can get one in your garden. Yeah, I would I yeah. would I would agree. They're very cool, and that's uh, Cephalanthus occidentalis. Occidentalis, yeah. So um, your Amelanchier species. Which we grow Amelanchier candensis, but there's what's Amelanchier latus, and there's another one that's uh, it's popular with one of the crosses, but I can't remember off the top yeah. of my head. It's latus and something else crossed, make yeah. like grandifolia. grandifolia. I think it's grandifolia, uh, but I don't remember what it's crossed with. But that's but, also native in but our area. Early blooming, like mm-hmm. to me, that's that could be a an understory tree. It's a large another one that's yeah. a large because you, you can get it single stem. Um, but very early flowering white flower, yeah. kind of around the same time as red bud. And, and great interesting fruit. common name, or, or the multiple common names, you yeah. have shadbush, yeah. which in our area along Delaware River, it bloomed when the shad were running. Yeah. Uh, and American shad are less and less common. But yeah. um, when we talked with the Nature Conservancy, when they opened up, uh, was it the Columbia Dam? Uh, I think it, it was, was on the Muskinetcong River. Yeah. Um, they saw shad running up that river the year after they they removed the dam. So there's still a run. It used to be a huge, huge commodity fish species in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Uh, not so much anymore. I think there's one legal harvest that takes wow. place every year now, and there's one one uh, residual company that still does it, yeah. and they basically do it out of tradition. But um, And then uh, serviceberry is another common. Serviceberry, which was it would – that fruit was it fruit or it was flowers? I thought it was flowers. Fla- as it would well. flower when the ground had thawed enough to bury your dead. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think that originated more up in in further north in New England, maybe yeah, where Massachusetts, you, where the ground would freeze so hard and and you couldn't dig in it over the winter, and you had to. That's pretty morbid. <laughs> that is <laughs> had pretty to accumulate morbid. Accumulate all your but, your loved ones. But that pretty cool stories for for common names. So those yeah. are those are great. We have spice bush, which is early flowering yellow. I'm trying to remember if that's facultative or facultative wet. I don't recall either. Gets those red berries. Yeah. And um and uh, we just put out an email earlier this week about how the the uh, mm-hmm. excuse me on Facebook it was the spice bush swallowtail. Yeah. That's a plant insect relationship that. The, the spice bush swallowtail needs spice bush, the particular for the larval stage, yeah. to to exist. So, so very important. And you make spice bush. You can make tea, I believe. I think so. I think yeah. that that was one that you can make tea. Um, getting a little more broad, you have the dogwoods, mm-hmm. uh, and we've talked about a lot of those. You have redwig dogwood, uh, Cornus sericea or stolonifera. Um, you have silky dogwood. You have. Um, uh, what's Cornus rat gray dogwood? Mm-hmm. There's just a lot of great understory shrubs that support so many different species, mm-hmm. um, different flowers, different berries. Just a great. They're important to me. You you can't not have yeah. dogwood shrubs. Yeah. Uh, Here's another uh, riddle for you. All right, Cornus Florida, the flowering dogwood. Yes. tree or shrub? I would say tree. Yeah. I would say I, so. I would say tree too. I mean, I've seen it multi-stem, you yeah. know, but I, I think for the most part, I, I would consider that a small, like understory tree, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. along and with, that's how I've seen it grow. They're like fifteen to twenty feet and, tall, and, 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 and again, and in the understory, like red bud, you can yeah. have it multi-stem where mm-hmm. it's more of a shrub. It's it's really that's <clears throat> they're really on the the line. I don't know. Yeah. I, it it could it could be genetics if you have smaller yeah. ones or not. So. Yeah. So then you have a uh, Morella, which or, is or used to be Mirica, 
yeah. uh, which is your bayberry. So you have northern bayberry, which I love the smell of northern bayberry, mm-hmm. very big coastal plant, uh, white berries. Um, like a lot of – you see bayberry candles. I think Yankee yep. Candle makes a bayberry yeah. candle. And then you have uh, wax myrtle, which is a little more southern, but you're starting to see it mm. creep north. Like it's starting to become a little more it's, – it's native in New Jersey, but not – in, in large, large numbers. It's a mm-hmm. little more rare, but it's starting to become a little more common now. Yeah, And I know uh, <laughs> I've seen in a lot of these native plant Facebook groups how people remember their grandparents going out and collecting bayberry to make bayberry candles. Yeah, bayberry so. candles. They make good greens for mm-hmm. – uh, it's a semi-evergreen, so in warmer climates it doesn't yeah. necessarily mm-hmm. drop all of its leaves and it has a great red fall color. So yeah. And we've seen in the nursery they tend to hold on their leaves yeah. here in New Jersey and, um, and get – that really cool like deep red yeah. color great yeah. great christmas greens mm-hmm. you know it's, it's good for that yeah. so. so uh you want to go you want me to oh it doesn't matter to me oh uh <laughs> elderberry so sambucus uh canadensis which i think is a subspecies of nigra sambucus mm-hmm. nigra canadensis mm-hmm. uh so elderberry we've we've talked waxed poetically about that mm-hmm. one with you can uh yeah. great flat flower great berry you can eat the flower you can eat the berries and uh the berries are really really high in antioxidants yeah and uh they're considered superfood now and you can go to i'm sure whole foods and wegmans and all these fancy supermarkets and they'll sell either elderberry juice or elderberry supplements because they're good they're good for your health yeah or you can just get an elderberry plant and do it yourself (laughs) that's true that's true I planted an elderberry next year or la- next year. Really? What is wrong with me? Last year. Um, now I'm in the future. I'm working. <laughs> I'm working the future and so, the past. Um, another cool species is your viburnums. And there's a lot. And in there's there. a lot. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot. But you know, those are um, uh, one of my favorites is the, the cranberry bush viburnum. Yeah. But yeah, um, viburnum trilobum but then, is a great one. Viburnum uh, dentatum. Which is arrowwood viburnum, a uh, very important species. You have black hall viburnum, which is a, a, a different mm-hmm. look. It has a like a waxier leaf, gets a really nice uh, um, fall color, red fall mm-hmm. color. Blackberry. Uh, you have um, the nannyberry, which which is Lincago. I, yeah, I wouldn't plant it, but I see there are quite a people who like and it. And redberry, and that gets yeah. quite big. That gets bigger. I I planted one of those also. Redberry. Mm-hmm. So. Um, you know, there's a lot of great species in the viburnum family. We're just yeah. talking to what's local here, but there's a southern arrowwood, which is uh, Recognitum. I guess uh, Dentatum is northern arrowwood, and mm-hmm. I think – I can't remember the pronunciation. Recognitum, I think. Recognitum mm-hmm. is southern arrowwood. Yeah, and I'll, I'll mention we had Sam Thayer on a couple of weeks ago, and I'm working on a video of uh, an unboxing I did of – all the stuff I bought off oh, of him. Yes. And um it's taken me way too long to put that up. No, but, but you did share some I of the stuff with us. Yeah. Uh high bush cranberry fruit leather and yeah. then high bush cranberry jam. Which How both was the jam? Were awesome. the, the fruit leather yeah. was fantastic. It's it's both were like a little bit tart. The, the yeah. jam was a little, or I guess it was jelly, it wasn't jam, but um it was a uh, uh sweeter than the fruit leather was, but it still had that tartness. And nice. um my wife and I just had it on like a cheese board and kind of put it on the side and then you take your cracker and put a little bit of the jam on it nice. put a little brie or goat cheese or whatever we had and and it was really really good awesome yeah. awesome uh you have your uh blueberries mm-hmm. so vaccinium you yeah. have the high bush blueberry and low bush blueberry mm-hmm. both really cool high bush blueberry is a is a wetland plant low bush blueberry is a as, as a much smaller upland plant mm-hmm. so we see that like covering the forest floors in in, in southern new jersey 
and highbush blueberry gets much taller i want to say six to eight feet tall mm-hmm. uh with a, a yep. nice red fall color um do you taste a difference in the the fruit i probably haven't had it side to side or side by you side could, enough to, uh, to yeah notice. i don't know that i could tell but the difference when uh, uh one of my friends and i last summer were walking around in the new jersey pine barrens and there's high bush blueberry all over and low bush blueberry yeah. all over through there but you're walking through and it was like it was literally like a blueberry buffet and we're yeah. just walking through and you're just grabbing them as you're going yeah, and such a great <laughs> i don't even know how many blueberries i ate that day it that, was that is one thing we're spoiled with in new jersey yeah. is blueberry yeah. um yeah. but you also have huckleberry is in that mm-hmm. I, i'm drawing a blank on the the um the botanical name on that one but huckleberry is also and in the cranberry is I'm not positive. That, I, I'm not positive. I'm going to look, look that one up. So while you're looking up that one, we did throw in Calicarpa americana, which is uh, not really native here. It's southern south of here, but it's beauty berry, which has a very cool uh, berry, like glossy, waxy berry yeah. uh, that's very striking. And it's it's a very more of a delicate. It doesn't have those strong, sturdy stems as you think of what viburnum. It's a little more delicate in nature. So. And the, the the berries cluster along mm-hmm. the, the the stems. Uh, cranberry is Vaccinia macrocarpin. Okay. So All right. and that's I, I guess it's still technically a shrub if it's yeah. woody yeah. stem and yeah. and it's low growing. Um, but that beauty berry is another one that like all of my southern friends that drive me nuts because it's not. This is one of my moral dilemmas. Yeah. It's not technically native in New Jersey. And, um, it's a great plant. It's an awesome plant. It's a great plant. It's so cool. Like that, that brightness of the berries and how they cluster like that. It's awesome. And I'm, I keep waffling and saying, am I going to, I'm going to plant in my garden this year. And then I'm like, ah, but it's not really native here. So I want to be really strict with this. I don't know why I have planted. I have non-native stuff planted in there already. So I don't know why I'm so strict. And the berries are purple. (laughs) It's purple beauty berry. But I remember University of Delaware at some point had like a yellow bearing one and there's white Mm -hmm. bearing ones and they're available in the trade. There's cultivars and things like that. There are, there is a non-native beauty berry too. But one of the reasons I also get jealous about it is apparently it's great for wildlife like deer and and quail and those kind of things love this love beautyberry so so yeah i think the i'm trying to remember the the non-native one is calicarpa dicotoma dicotoma i think there's a handful of yeah so um you have sumax which is another one where you could say yeah small tree large shrub but we we've talked about the importance with the berries for wildlife um the fall color is wonderful Mm -hmm. you have staghorn sumac smooth sumac uh wing sumac so the the uh roost glabra which is smooth sumac is that the stems are smooth mm-hmm. there's there's no hair where the the staghorn sumac um they're pubescent so the stems are actually furry kind of like a staghorn mm-hmm. like a young staghorn and then the wing sumac has wings mm-hmm. uh, yep. i don't know if it's on the on, on the, the branchlets almost like on yeah. the, the leaflets yeah. um so they're they're mm-hmm. wings so it's they all have like if you were looking at them from a distance, they all look very similar. But if you go up and inspect them, you can really see mm-hmm. the difference. And they're yeah. mo- mainly upland, dry areas, sandy, not a lot of nutrient content yeah. in the soil. And also, one of the things I didn't try after we even talked about on the podcast was making that staghorn uh, or, or sumac lemonade out of the berries. Wasn't there? Something? And then I didn't try. So the the sumac, which is the conventional spice spice mm-hmm. in cooking, is actually um i think middle eastern yeah but 
they said you can use the native sumac as a, a replica in okay. a way. It's not quite as flavorful, but it does provide some flavor. Didn't we just eat so, something that had sumac as a as an ingredient? I got well. It was the the Middle Eastern su- sumac. I oh, got okay. With, uh, what's it? Zaatar. Okay. Which I don't know if you had any, but I was like okay. licking the inside of the, or I was licking my finger after I touched the inside right. of the cat. All right. But I thought well, there was something we had here that someone was saying, oh, look, sumac mm. is one of the ingredients. Yeah. I don't remember what Maybe it was. Maybe it was though. in that fruit leather. Maybe that's what, what it was. It was. Yeah. yeah. So you have your chokeberries, which mm-hmm. again, we've talked about. You have your red chokeberry, black chokeberry. There is another chokeberry. Um, is it purple chokeberry? I think that sounds right. So I, if I remember correctly... One is a facultative wet, and one is a facultative. I can't remember which is which. So one likes it a little bit wetter. You know, it's not it's not um, wildlife's favorite because it is a little more tart. So they tend to leave it till last. So it's it's later. You know, it's it's a good late season food source for wildlife if you're using it. Um, yeah, I can't remember what the other chokeberry is. Purple chokeberry, chokeberry. is a, is a cross between red the and red black. black, which makes sense. You know, we've seen that with cardinal flower and blue lobelia Mm -hmm. where you get those natural crosses so uh a couple of things we didn't write down that i'm just thinking about off the top of my head is inkberry holly which is one of the few evergreen shrubs that we really have native and in new jersey here and it's a very nice soft uh you know evergreen Mm -hmm. shrub that's with a blackberry that's late season again we didn't uh talk about saws the clefer anifolia. We didn't talk we about didn't sweet pepper bush, there. which is such a wonderful summer flowering mm-hmm. with a, a sweet peppery smell uh, to the blooms and yeah. it's a uh, nice yellow fall color. We didn't talk about Ikea virginica, mm-hmm. which is uh, a Virginia, Virginia sweet spire. Which actually, when we were listening to his, uh, Saul's voicemail this time, I was thinking I saw a play where Ikea uh, virginica was actually the resolution. It was really? called. It was called. I think it was called Native Gardens. And um, but they referenced Doug Talmy and they referenced a couple other authors, but it was a, a young, energetic, um, multicultural family moved in next door to some some old white people, and uh, and they argued. But the the new family wanted to have a whole native backyard. They were do-it-yourselfers. Yeah. The neighbor was a traditional English gar- gardener, and he was very mean and stuffy. But um, and. I think the one the one guy was in. I, I should yeah, go into yeah. all this stuff. I don't remember. It was basically the, they were having a bar. The new couple had a baby. They were having a barbecue, or no, they were about to have a baby, uh-huh. and they had the baby. That was they were fighting a okay. lot right. over the border, and they they the resolution was they had the baby, and that made them get along, and they planted a hedge of Virginia sweet spire in between, uh-huh. which is again very it's summer flowering. Yeah. It has a nice spire. It's fragrant. Uh-huh. Uh, glossier leaf it's actually stoloniferous or rhizomal I, I think it's rhizomal that sounds uh, you know correct, so yeah. it, it really suckers and, mm-hmm. and forms a colony it's colony forming um, but great great deep red fall color that's a great oh yeah great shrub. and there was another one that i was thinking of uh well bearberry is a really low growing, growing shrub. more of a ground cover but, which um, is a, a really unique evergreen uh, uh ground cover yeah that we have it's and very um, uh, there was another one I was thinking of, and well, sweet fern. Now. Sweet fern is sweet another great another one. Cool one. Uh, likes drier, sandier soils. Has a great. I, I always pulling leaves off and, and smelling the leaves. And I've seen that used in cooking as well. Yeah. Either the the leaves where and they'll tea. use it as like an aromatic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you can use it as tea, um, and you can actually eat the seeds. 
which oh, are like little, that. almost like crunchy sunflower seeds, I guess. So well, we sh- we should probably we're actually oh yeah we're, we're, <laughs> we're we only got like ten minutes left. Like um, so do you, do you have a favorite shrub? I'm gonna go with um. I would love to say the American Beauty Berry, but I don't have one, so I'm gonna go with the the uh, cranberry viburnum. That's a great one. Yeah. That really is a great one. Um, now I'm de- I'm thinking cranberry viburnum has the red berry. I think I said nanny berry had red, but yeah, I don't think it is. It's a, yeah, that like has a darker, like darker, like yeah. a purple, like a dark purple, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. So yep. I'm just I confused the two in my head. So. So I didn't plant a nanny berry. I planted a cranberry viburnum. <laughs> Probably good because <laughs> yeah. I don't like the nanny berries. No, nanny they're great plants. Look but... Similar to black hall, they're both more on mm-hmm. the the upland, like facultative, facultative upland. So yep. my favorite shrub, I would say sweet pepper bush. I know mm-hmm. Saul mentioned that one, but that's one of the first plants I learned when I started in the industry, and I, I, I've always kind of liked. The, the flowering habit and the smell mm-hmm. and the, the fall color of that one. And I like when you see big native stands right on the edge of the woods, like in Maryland. Yep. Yep. When I lived in Delaware, you would see them like on roadsides, big natural stands. And mm-hmm. you see them native around here, yep. most of the parks anyway. So yep. that would be mine. All right. You ready? Cool. Do, I think we have time. We have about 10 minutes. So yeah, let's do the pod, do pod All right. Let's see what we get. Always this curious. is our, our one moment of spontaneity. Actually, this this whole episode it's, was a lot of <laughs> we, yeah. This one was way off was, off the cuff. Yeah, but uh, um. All right, let's see here. I'm going to just pull one out. Yeah, I mean, we called your wife out of the blue. Yeah, she had no idea that was going to happen. Uh, uh, we can't do that. It's a reverse cast. Start with the result and work backward to the problem. Yeah, I don't uh, know how we yeah, do that. I don't know how we do that either. Reintroduce yourself to the audience. We haven't done this for 44 episodes. Yeah. So, go ahead. All right. You want to go? You want me yeah, to go? Yeah, I can go. All right. Um, how in-depth do we want to go with this? Uh, you so, know what? Give yourself three minutes. Okay. I'm going to set a timer. Uh, but, so I am Tom Knezic. Uh Now, if I was to introduce myself now, I'd say I'm the production analyst at Pylons Nursery. Um, owner of Pylons Direct, Native Plants, and then the co-host of the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast. Um, I'm also on the New Jersey Nursery and Landscape Association from Association Board of Directors, uh, the Atlantic Seed Association Board of Directors, uh, and I'm the secretary of the New Jersey Young Farmer and Agricultural Professionals. Well, you're involved in a lot yeah. of stuff. <laughs> yeah. I'm not involved that, in anything. And that's all the stuff I, I do for work. Yeah. <laughs> but... Um, and, uh, yeah, so I grew up in the native plant business. Yeah. Uh, literally, my parents started Pylons Nursery and Supply when I, before I was born, probably three, four years before I was born. And um, they moved to the property where I grew up, and uh, my home was at this nursery. So I spent a lot of my childhood swinging on the greenhouse rungs and <laughs> climbing the rafters <laughs> of the barns and learning how to drive tractors when I was a little kid and never really understood what we were doing. Uh, up until I knew how important it was. I wouldn't even say that. I didn't know how important it was. I knew we grew native plants. I knew that was different. I knew that most other places didn't do that. Uh, I didn't realize how different it was until I got to college and I was taking, I was actually a business major, an agricultural business major. But um, when I started taking some horticulture classes on the side and they were saying, oh, well, you need these fancy greenhouses and 
do things hydroponically and grow all these crazy species. And I was like, they basically said, you have to spend millions of dollars if you want to make any money. And I'm like, well, that's not how we do things. We have yeah. like these bare, bare bones greenhouses. And and um, from a success standpoint, we were, they, and they were talking about these these nurseries that were started up and they were going out of business. And But they had to spend all this money and they could never get out of debt. And, uh, and my parents kind of ran it the opposite way. So it was, that was when I was introduced to how we were doing things so differently. And what we were doing was a little bit revolutionary and how simplistic it was. Um, and then as I progressed even further and started working at the business, that's when I realized, oh, wow, we are making a huge difference. And there's such a disconnect between conventional horticulture and ecological horticulture and there's more and more science coming out that shows how we need to do things yeah. ecologically yeah. and we need to merge those lines. Yeah. There shouldn't be ornamental horticulture and ecological. It should be one. Yeah. Um, and it's probably needs to come ornamental needs to come a long way to meet ecological. It shouldn't be ecological going to meet ornamental. Yeah. So that was kind awesome. of an introduction. Awesome. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll give mine. I'll go maybe a little bit different direction than I have in the past and just elaborate a little bit more on kind of who I am. So I'm Fran Chismar. I'm the Sultan of Sales at Pinelands Nursery. I'm also the co-host of the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast. Um, I'm a father of two. I'm a single father of two about to be remarried and uh, a, a stepfather to, to another child uh, soon. Um, and and those things are very important to me. Being a father is is a huge uh, deal in my life, and and changed my life drastically. And I'll I'll go into that a little bit further. But I was I was a rebellious child, <laughs> and I didn't go to college. And it was at a crossroads where I was going to get kicked out of my house if I didn't get a job. And I, I I had a friend that worked at Moon Nurseries, which is in Maryland, but at the time it was in Yardley, PA. And I started working there and it, it wasn't – to me it was just a job but it kind of kept me out of trouble. And at one point my friends all moved to Colorado and it probably kept me from moving. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they all – they had no jobs or no careers or anything. And at this point I had become uh, the wholesale yard manager at, at Moon Nurseries and I, I wasn't ready to leave. And from there I kind of – I worked at a bunch of different nurseries in a different aspects. So Moon was uh, – uh, larger trees at the time with a container yard i went to work at the connor pile company which is star roses which was a huge uh container nursery and also star roses was one of the top three nurseries for uh or top three rose growers behind uh jackson and perkins and weeks um i had a brief stint at imperial nurseries and also at true green and then i ended up at princeton nurseries uh back in new jersey where i you know, which again was a, a very large tree nursery mm -hmm. and container nursery. And I was the assistant sales manager and procurement manager and then eventually becoming sales manager. And I was the first and only non-college educated uh, sales manager at Princeton mm -hmm. Nursery through their long career. And there was a, a, a long legacy of great sales managers there. So um, when they went out of business, the one thing my wife at the time had asked was, we've moved all over for your job. And now that we have kids, I, I don't want to move. So, which really limited <laughs> limited mm -hmm. my options. And at the same time, your dad needed a sales manager and really wanted someone who was grounded locally. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, and it was a a great marriage. And I, I kind of did it 
because I knew I'd still be able to spend a lot of time with my kids and, and be a dad, which, which I really wanted to do. And I had no idea that it would change my life the way it did. Like in no, in a way mm. that no other job that I've ever had had, like there were all careers, but this is a way of life for me. And it's, I found family here and, you know, and we talked about the, how that's a core value of so many of the people oh, that yeah. work here. Yeah. Um, you know, and it really, I can't imagine not doing this. It's its not like if I were to switch jobs, I would stop thinking mentally the way I do about these things. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, let's just say I were to go off and do something completely different. It, it wouldn't change how I feel. I can't imagine not doing this for a living now, where at the other jobs, I could see myself not doing it anymore. Yeah. Yep. You know, it, it made a difference that way. So, um, but just re- real quick, you know, passionate besides this, I, I love sports. I love music. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge music fan. I've I had my own music blog for the longest time, uh, the My Music, My Concerts, My Life mm-hmm. blog, which turned into a, a internet radio show, which was the F Money show, which I, I had a podcast for each of those, both not very good, but I had all... <laughs> they, they, friends underselling that. They were both very good, <laughs> just no one listened to no them. No one listened to them. But you know, I, I had a lot of great experiences over the years doing that. I recently just stopped doing it when we started this podcast, yeah. but I, yep. I was doing concert photography and and writing music articles and meeting bands and interviewing bands backstage i got to interview uh bands like new politics and and meet red hot chili peppers and things like that so it was that's still a passion of mine but it's kind of taken over the years taken a back seat to how Mm -hmm. i feel about this this is my priority and i kind of stopped doing all the other things so yeah um and one of the things that um I do want to put this the right way, so yeah. I should probably think about how I'm going to say it. Fran did mention how how family oriented our nursery is, yeah. and that's a uh, that's one of the things I always took for granted because, mm-hmm. like I said, I grew up here and now uh, I live on an adjacent property and I get to go home and see my nine month old son mm-hmm. every day and for lunch and um, like I wake up with him every day, like so I get to spend so much time I almost take it for granted. I don't. Th- yeah. I was thinking about. Uh, if I had to commute, like I, my commute is literally three minutes. If I have like a th- half an hour commute, how much more time I would miss with my family and that how lucky I am for that. But uh, one of the things that really stands out in my mind about Fran, is I, Fran and I is that um, we aren't what you think of when you think of like the the uh, plant enthusiast, I guess. Yeah, I'd say. no, I would agree. Like Fran yeah. said, he's a sports fan, he's like – I wouldn't. I probably wouldn't put plant enthusiasts on like one of my top descriptive. Features, I, I wouldn't. Either, but we but are. I, we and are. We love nature yeah. and we love native plants, and uh, and that's one of the things I think has been hindering the native plant movement. Yeah. Especially when we've talked about before in all these native plant groups, is people just get beat down. Native plants are for everyone. Yeah. They're for regular people who like watching the Eagles or, or the Yankees or Red yeah. Sox, whatever sports team they want, or enjoy having a beer and and spending time in their yard. Um, it's not just for the people who are geeking out over plants yeah. and saying, oh, this is such a special plant and really just so enthralled with the plant. It's got to be more of a way of, or I don't want to say a way no. of life, but it needs to be a normal part of life. It's, it's a lifestyle. And yeah. I was going to say, that's the difference. Like, I love sports. I love music a lot. And, and, and it's a hobby and I get to partake in those things, mm-hmm. you know, and I played sports and I, I did all that stuff, but ecology is a part of my every day yeah you know that i get to i get to be a part of 
like the other things I observe and maybe the music stuff I get to be a part of kind of on mm-hmm. the fringe, but this is something I'm entrenched in. Yeah. And it's anytime we're out, I'm talking about native plants and pointing them out and talking about the benefits and things like that or making choices that are better for mm-hmm. for us as 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 part of the ecosystem. So it's yeah. it's more of, of who we are, not yeah. just something yeah. we like to do. And um and it should be part of in my opinion, it should be part of everyone's life. And yeah. those choices should be easy. It yeah. should be easy to go to the garden center and pick out, hey, this is gonna be better for the environment yeah. and or the ecology. Um, and unfortunately it's not. And I think sometimes we do ourselves a disservice when we get so entrenched in the plants. Yeah. It should be easy. Hey, I want something that flowers and, and looks pretty. Well, here's a native plant that fits your need. Yeah, exactly. Not, we shouldn't be boiled down in the minutia. Well, is it really, this is the perfect plant for, for your area or should yeah. you explore this? And that happens a little be- bit too Because often. it's our future. And, you know, and we've talked about kids, yeah. you know, what's at times with when I worked at the Connor Pyle Company or Princeton Nurseries, I was working 60, 70 hours a week and traveling three, mm-hmm. three months of the year, you know, and you yeah. think you start yeah. totaling that up with, you know, I missed my oldest son's first steps because I was at a management clinic in Kentucky, you mm-hmm. know, and that's not something yeah. I ever wanted to do again, you know, but, and you make those choices and you, you hope that they grow up with those choices mm-hmm. as well. And you, you, you see that with your parents with, with, oh, the, yeah. You, you yeah. talked about what your vacations were, you know, as a kid mm-hmm. and what they involved in, and you're going to pass that on to your kids. And it just yep. becomes part of who you are, not just something you you like to do. I don't associate yeah. it with – yeah, like you said, I don't, I don't really associate it with something I would describe myself as mm-hmm. because it's just part of who yeah. I am. You know? Yeah, and uh, I guess that was one of the reasons we started this podcast yeah. was to make it more approachable for for everything else we looked at what else was out there we wanted to be mainstream and um yeah it should be it It should should be be part of everyone's life and it should be something they don't think about yeah um it's it's fine to be passionate about i don't want to say that you shouldn't be passionate about native plants uh it's important that there's people who are passionate about native plants but it needs to be it can't just be the early adopters that that take us to the next step it needs to be all inclusive everyone needs to be able whatever your level of comfort is with being a part of it you should have that option to be a part of it at Mm -hmm. any level so we didn't want it to be too stuffy or too technical we wanted it to just be every day i wanted my wife who's going to listen to this and and uh and hopefully likes what i'm about to say i wanted her who had Grew up in a, a development in a, a suburban part of New Jersey. Had no real experiences, in my mind, with nature, or very, very little yeah. with with nature. I wanted her to be able to understand some of these more complex topics and appro- be able to approach native plants and and feel like she knew a little bit when making those decisions. Yeah. Um, I, oh, I, I see the difference. And I know I've talked about my fiance mm-hmm. and how she grew up. There's a... a much larger difference in our connectivity with nature yeah she feels it on a much deeper level than i i do and it's just because of how it was part of her life growing up you know and that's something you can't you can grow but you Mm -hmm. can't just implant that in someone later in life (laughs) you know she just has it and i don't have and i i won't have it in the same way Mm -hmm. it's more of an emotional connection that that she feels on a deeper level than i ever will so. so Well, with that, thank you again for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Buzz. Uh, thank you again for listening to Native Plants, Healthy Planet. We know you. Yeah, there's a lot of choices for you to, yes. to uh, dedicate your time. Even more every day. Yeah. They keep popping up. <laughs> so we appreciate that you're choosing to spend some time listening with us. Yes, thank you. And, and uh, as always, we're going to give a huge thank you to RJ Comer for our Buzz theme music, uh, which is part of its identity. Make sure you stream or buy RJ's music. 
uh, on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your music. Hopefully when things open up and, and he could start performing live again, we could throw some show dates yeah. out for him and, and make sure you go see him if Ooh, you're in the area. Or we have uh, we can have the Native Plants Healthy Planet festival. Tour, or festival. Yeah, I want our, that. Yeah. I want that. I, I really want that. Um, I know egocentric plastic men who do our meet the guest theme music. They would be down with that. Yep. So um, you can follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery, and YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. We have our question and comment line. Call us at 215-346-6189 like Dr. Evil did. Uh, I'll repeat that again, 215-346-6189. Ask a question. Leave a comment. If we pick your question or comment, we'll play it and answer it on a future episode of The Buzz. Um, and don't forget about our Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group. We're uh, like 315, 315 members, 316 members. We had a few mm-hmm. more today. So uh, the conversations have been great. Uh, keep being kind to each other and, and, and keep it going. Keep it on topic, and we'll keep the conversation going. Yeah. As always, you can listen to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast directly at www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. You can also check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, really wherever you consume your podcast. When you're there, please subscribe. Please leave a review. And uh, and kind of what we just mentioned, yeah. share this with a friend. We want to spread this message. We want to make it approachable to everyone. Uh, we feel like this is a great introduction to to the native plant world and, and why it's important. And um, if 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 you let it, it will change your life. Yes, yeah. it's it's a life changer. So, and uh, and as always, if you do those things, it really helps us a lot. So, with that, thank you, everyone. I'm Tom. I am Fran. Thanks again, everyone. We'll see you next time for our. I don't even know what we don't have a confirmation for what next week is no, yet. So no, it's, it's a surprise to us as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> but we'll be back again next week. Until then, keep it native. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planted Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.